good health and good longevity uh, probably doesn't originate from the bottom of a bottle or in a capsule. Welcome to the Superwell Podcast, your source for truly holistic and original perspectives on health and happiness. Each week, we take true dives into the key areas of life with true leaders and true conversations. It's your time for a Superwell life. Superwell team, welcome back for another Beacon episode. Today's episode, we sit with Kale Brock, who is an award-nominated filmmaker, speaker, and writer. He has a background in TV journalism and has a passion for creative storytelling with a special interest in the health and well-being space. Kale has produced a couple of great documentaries, the first one being The Gut Movie, where he traveled to Namibia and lived with a, a tribe over there. And he was investigating the human microbiome in a scientific, quirky, and fun fashion. Uh, and it was really a great discovery process around the microbiome. There's some great information in that one. And then the second documentary, which is has just been released, and he is traveling the country at the moment, doing a bunch of screenings, soon to head overseas to do some screenings there. That's called The Longevity Film. And Kale traveled to what are called the Blue Zones or the longevity cultures around the world to try and investigate the dietary and lifestyle factors which cause unprecedented health statistics in these areas. And we thought it'd be a great time to talk to Kale because at this particular time on the calendar, lots of people are setting health intentions and health goals. And we figured if we can get some information from Kale around uh, what he may have gleaned from the process that helped these people have such happy and long lives, uh, it would be great to share with people uh, who listen to the podcast so that they can add that into their goal setting and intention setting processes at this time of year. Uh, Kale has a great website where you can get lots of awesome information. Um, it's kalebrock.com.au. Follow him on all the socials too. Uh, he is prolific at getting information out there to the public that's very useful, very helpful. Um, and very well put together, obviously, with his background in journalism. So we hope you enjoy the podcast. As always, if you have any questions, uh, you know, shoot them through and we'll do our best to answer those. Enjoy. All right. So with me, I have um, Kale Brock. How are you, man? Man, I'm good. Thanks for having me. He's just informing he's back from um, a nice surf um, this morning, um, hitting the waves out there, practicing, no doubt, one of the um, secrets of his wellness um, wellness journey. Um, I'm sure surfing plays a big role in your life in that regard, Kyle. It does. It's probably it's one of the essential pillars, I think, of um, health and well-being for me. It's where I find a lot of uh, community, mindfulness, exercise, uh, sunshine. Um, you could even you could even go as far as earthing and all these different things. I think uh, it offers quite a lot to me. So, yeah, it's it's definitely been a central theme in my life, and it will continue to be so for the next eighty years. <laughs> yeah, I, that earthing thing is pretty interesting. My when I just before we we jumped on this recording, Kay and I were talking about um, how I attempted to start surfing, and the guy who um, was teaching me was. T- I remember when he. He's a, he's a chiropractor, a friend of friend of mine, um, started uni with Damo and I. He talks about how when he goes in the water, he feels like the energy of the water recharges his batteries, um, which is a really cool way of, um, of, of thinking about it too. 
Yeah, I think it's a very tangible feeling. It's quite hard to, um, I guess, measure. Uh, but, you know, if you look at, I did some work when I was working for Network 10. We did some interviews with some researchers down at the Murray Mouth and they were testing, you know, the conductivity of, of water, um, you know, and, they, and they, you can see that it's electrical, it's alive. Uh, so that obviously has a massive impact on us being, um, you know, partly electrical beings as well. Mate, I've never heard that. That's also fascinating. The, the places you go in a conversation that you don't know where you're going to end up. Now, Kyle, um, do you want to just tell us a little bit about your background? In obviously, you worked in journalism. You said um, just then uh, you were working for Channel Ten um, there. Can you tell us how you um, got to the journey of, of being so interested in health and wellbeing, and now you know a, a great documentary producer um, in the health and wellness space? Yeah, I mean, I started I becoming interested in health and well-being when I was 16, when I was diagnosed with a heart condition called supraventricular tachycardia, uh, which is a fancy way of saying that I had an irregular heart rhythm at times, and I would go through these really intense arrhythmias, and these would often happen whilst I was playing football or whilst I was uh, surfing, <clears throat> and um, I had to deal with those uh, by simply, you know, taking time out and um i would go quite faint during these times i would go quite pale and, and almost faint uh, so it's quite serious obviously being in the ocean and almost fainting so i went to the cardiologist and um got uh, this diagnosis and they hooked me up to all these little batteries and all these different things and uh, they said the only way that we can potentially fix this is for you to undergo an ablation and an ablation is where they wanted to enter my heart and burn away a piece of the heart, the sinoatrial node. Um, and I said, well, that's sort of, sort of strange. I don't want to uh, destroy the thing that's not working. How about we fix it? Uh, and he sort of looked across at me and said, this is the only option. And I said, what about nutrition? He said, that's got nothing to do with it. Um, so that was sort of the, the original point at which I went, okay, I think there's more to this story uh, because this guy's obviously sharing what he's learned at university and I think there has to be more to this. So I went off and did a lot of research. I also went and worked with an incredible naturopath uh, here in South Australia, um, <clears throat> which is where I grew up. And I was able to work with her. And within about six to 18 months, I was able to turn around that condition naturally uh, without the surgery, without the medications. Um, and I remember I wrote an article, like a little piece for one of my uh, assignments in, in year 11 or 12 and the teacher was like oh this is really interesting maybe a career in journalism with a question mark and I was like shit yeah I'll do that so um, I ended up getting that job at Channel 10 and and um, you know started working for Surfing South Australia first doing a lot of reporting and, and articles and commentating and things like that and then got offered the job at Channel 10 so I didn't have to go to uni to study um, I just studied on the job and then from there obviously since then which was you know, what, eight years ago, I um, managed to sort of build my own brand in this space and I've uh, been lucky enough to make two films and write a bunch of books and, and stand on stage a lot and, and get to speak about this stuff. So it's been, yeah, a bit of a whirlwind experience and just sort of um, tying the bow on it now, I guess. And um, you did mention there two, um, two films. Let's um, talk about the first one, uh, the gut health one, because that's um, that's a that was obviously that got released two years ago, was it now or three? I'm not sure, can't remember. Right, so it's a, we sort of finalised it um, two years ago, you would say. Yeah. 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 Tell us about that um, and some of the 
the main drivers behind why you thought that was a good place to start and uh, what you learned through the experience of doing doing that movie. Yeah, I think the gut movie was an extension of everything that I was doing. So I was um, going on stage and talking about fermented foods and then I was going on stage and talking about healing the gut. Uh, and I was interviewing, that was the, <clears throat> the main sort of source of my information was these incredible practitioners who I got to chat with, like Dr. Natasha Campbell McBride, Dr. Margie Smith, Dr. Um, Professor Thomas Barodi and all these different people that I got to chat to. And I thought, okay, there, there is a story here. Um, and I think that I could tell it in, in a documentary. I'd always wanted to step into film and I thought this was a, was a good sort of starting point. So um, we raised a bunch of money by doing the Gut Summit. We did that online and then um, I basically went to Namibia to live with a hunter-gatherer tribe over there uh, and test their microbiomes and then also test mine before and after to see how it changed whilst I was there. And then we used that sort of experience as a um, as a vehicle to sort of drive this exploration into gut health and, and the immune system, the nervous system, the, our um, mental health, you know, a bunch of different things that we all we are now finding are related, uh, uh, interconnected with the actions of the gut microbiota. Um, so I think really that film was, um, I think it was quite impactful. And, and the main messages I think that came out of it for me was um, the more I learn about the gut, the more I realise how little I know. And um, it's also paradoxically, I think, something that's very simple to affect and change in a positive way. Uh, and then from there, <clears throat> we obviously went on to do uh, the longevity film, which is what I've been touring now. Yeah. Um, so the longevity film, let's move to that one then. Um, obviously, in the world of healthcare, it's easy to reductionize everything into segments, you know, gut health or uh, mental health or whatever whatever field of health you want to try and um, put something into a pocket but uh, and it'd be easy to do the same with these two films you know you've done one on gut health now you do one on longevity but I'm sure there's a connection between the two as well um, and also um, learnings that you got through this process with the longevity film that probably build upon some of the ones that you had from the gut health and also um you know, made you reflect on some of the messages from the gut health coming back to um, a, a longevity um, purpose as well. Yeah, I think um, I wanted to, with the gut movie, everything was zoomed in, you know, everything was microscopic, it was micro, we were <clears throat> using microscopes and all these different things. Um, with the longevity film I wanted to zoom out and have a look at what certain cultures were doing to experience incredible health and well-being to live a really long time um and I quickly realized that these people weren't necessarily taking probiotics or drinking kombucha you know it was a big uh sort of wake-up call in that um good health and good longevity uh probably doesn't originate from the bottom of a bottle or in a capsule or by getting a poo test done um, those things can be supportive of it and they can help it and they can give us more direction but uh, there are certainly cultures around the world who um, who don't do those things and yet experience not only a really long lifespan but also a really high quality 
um, of health throughout that lifespan. For instance, in Okinawa, which is one of the longevity cultures that I got to go and visit, they have a 98% health span, which means um, 98% of their lives are spent free of any sort of chronic disease, whereas here in Australia, 50% of all children have some sort of disease, almost 50% of um, children have some sort of form of um, disease that, they, that they're dealing with. Uh, so these were drastic differences <clears throat> in the health outcomes that these um, cultures were experiencing. So uh, I was aware of, of that work, you know, the Blue Zones work and, and identifying the, these isolated pockets of, of people around the world. And I thought, hey, look, uh, I think that's the next film. Um, so we teed up three of the five Blue Zones to go and visit. And, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of effort and work that goes into that. And the idea was I'm going to go um, spend a week in, in each culture and actually see how that impacted me and, 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 how, and how they were living. It was very much when we started, actually, it was very much about them. It was very much about, okay, there's going to be a secret, there's going to be uh, little interventions that they're doing and we're going to mimic that and we're going to build a recipe and bring it home. Uh, and what it turned out to be was this sort of tumultuous, somewhat emotional journey um, where it took me from being quite a rigid uh, health advocate to uh, losing that rigidity over time and um, through experiencing what these people were doing because they're not uh, necessarily waking up and uh, fasting until one o'clock and eating in a four-hour window. You know, they're not doing CrossFit. They're not meditating. Um, they might live meditatively, but they're not meditating. Uh, so, and they're not doing yoga. They're not drinking green smoothies. You know, it's all these different things that contradicted my um, preconceptions about what it took to, to reach a ripe old age and, and to live really well now. Um, so those things were, were sort of thrown into perspective for me and we sort of explore that in the film and obviously interview some pretty incredible practitioners like Dr. Mark Hyman and, um, and, and a bunch of others who, who were incredible people to talk to. Uh, so, yeah, that, that film, I think, for me is more impactful from a zoomed-out wider perspective. You know, we're thinking macro, we're thinking lifestyle, we're thinking those really essential pillars that um, put us in good stead uh, to to live life really well um, and not get sick. And and on that, it's funny, like I was um, <clears throat> last year, I probably went through the most sickness that I've that I've ever had since since um, oh, quote unquote becoming healthy, if you will. Um, and then since the film, after really sort of settling down and applying what I've been talking about, I haven't been sick. Um, so it's definitely been a, it's been a big change for me. And, you know, I've seen some, um, I've seen some, some big reactions from people as well, from, from people, you know, crying in the theatre to, to people laughing in the theatre and then, and then totally changing their lives around. It's, it's been really fantastic. That's amazing. Yeah. It's, um, I think that's a really important message. I know, a, a mutual friend of ours, um, Damien Christoph, I've had conversations with him along the journey. We studied um, Cairo together and started that journey. And um, it's something I always use the phrase with my patients that health is the natural expression of life. And it's if we want to be healthier, that it's really a, a concept of living rather than like a, a compartmentalised regime where I have to, you know, do my yoga in the morning and then, you know, have my smoothie, like you said, or, you know, breaking things down into um, action steps so you can tick off your checklist um, so you can be healthy 
is is kind of it's it's a good step forward for some people, but really that what I'm getting from you, um, what you learn from these people, it's the whole the whole way their life is structured. It's just in a in a nice rhythm. Um, and um, one uh, another thing that I read recently, um, it, it sort of put against each other the idea of routine versus rhythm. So routine has a rigidity to it, um, as you were talking about your own um, rigidity around your view on, on health and wellbeing. And I mean, as a practitioner, I've had to evolve through that myself as well. Um, but rhythm has still has like a sequential sort of um, beat or, or, um, or recurring, you know, element to it, but it has much more flow um, and it seems um, a lot more artistic and beautiful than routine just the, the words um, against each other. So do you feel like that's a, a good representation of perhaps what they're, what these cultures are doing over there? They're living in more more of a rhythm rather than a routine? Yeah, totally. Uh, there's a lot of intuitive behaviour. Um, and there's still sort of societal expectations that there are, there are <clears throat> inbuilt sort of morality points that, people live their lives around they're not just sort of uh living in this commune walking around naked dancing and listening to hippie music like there there is actual structure to the society um but that structure like you said is uh it's so different to the way that we do it i think a lot of it centers around people and when you have people centric um behaviors and ideas and philosophies it does become that more intuitive free-flowing approach as opposed to having um you know, numbers or rules or or rule books rather, or various dictates which would which would instruct um, you know how you behave on a daily basis. Uh, but but on, in saying that as well, I mean, I went to Loma Linda, which is um, a Seventh Day Adventist community in uh, California, near just in Los Angeles, in fact. And these people do live quite um, guided lives or allow their lives to be guided by their religious beliefs you know seventh day adventism so you know that's a big part of their lives for instance but again whilst there you see this there is this beautiful essence of relaxed of relaxation of uh like you said flow is such a big word and they do do i tend to exist i think a lot in that flow state um and you know it, it's something that we don't necessarily see here so there is a sharpness here. There is this jaggedness um, that you see in the, in this sort of, this Western sort of society that you don't see in these blue zone cultures. And what that physically, tangibly looks like, I don't know. I don't think it's just the architecture. I think it's a, how the people actually live. Um, there's this ease that they carry about them, this smugness, um, this affability that's just gorgeous to be around and, and it's infectious um and that's something i think that we can definitely cultivate here um just by you know for instance not taking ourselves too seriously uh and sort of relaxing into our well-being lifestyle um rather than trying to you know force ourselves into a box that we might not fit into for instance if we read a book or we watch a documentary game changer and we go okay i'm gonna go vegan um, you know, and all of a sudden, bang, we've got this almost religious set of rules that we have to follow. Um, <clears throat> so I think that, you know, that there's a whole bunch of different ways that we could develop that here. Um, and I don't think it starts, this is funny, I don't think it starts by people 
you know, um, and this is what I did, by the way, when I when I first got into health, you know, buying 45 different health books and then just dissecting them and making notes and, and sucking it all in, you know, I think it takes by just starting to listen to our body more so and taking a step back and starting to live more meditatively perhaps um, and start to really slow down and, and um, take stock of, of what we're actually doing, the results we're getting and then changing our behaviour to um, get a different result or, or get a result that we're, we're happy with. So, yeah, I think it's a long roundabout way of saying that, yes, there, there's a different way that they um, – live their lives in these cultures it's slower it's more mindful uh it's more people centric than anything uh food is is mostly you know it's homegrown it's organic but it's also just mainly used as a tool to bring people together um and you know and they move a lot there's a there's some essential pillars that they follow as well um but yeah like you said there is this nice easy breezy flow that they they bring about one thing um one thing I've always been interested in, which I haven't haven't sort of followed up, but you're probably uh, in a great position to answer. I've always wondered around um, within these these communities, um, the ideas of like aspiration or entrepreneurism. You know, do do people in these communities um, seek to further themselves um, in any manner, or do they kind of just uh, seek to be like one of the community like a contributor to the existing community or are they continuing to try and work together to expand the community as well they're not watching gary v on youtube (laughs) (laughs) and i and i don't think they're you know big fans of tony robbins either (laughs) it's yeah i was speaking with someone about this who was re- is really into you know this spiritual element of health and well-being um you know one of paul check's disciples and paul check's in the film by the way and yeah. um he was saying what i really noticed about the these cultures is there's there's so little introspection you know um there's not really time or or an inherent um habit that encourages these people to sit down and think about them thinking about themselves you know or or or, um considering like their place in the world and whether they're important enough and whether their uh, relationship with their father is impacting their daily behaviors or whether they need to whether they're codependent and all these you know different invented words that we come up with now to explain stupid behavior um they don't do that that they they, I think they purely exist to be of service to others and to be a part of the community. And when they sit there at a at an Ikari in Panagiri, for instance, a party in, in Ikari, a religious celebration, and they sit there and they're surrounded by friends and family of all ages and they're having a conversation, um, then all of a sudden I think those elements such as you know where do i fit in the world (laughs) what am i going to do with my life like how am i going to pay off this mortgage um you know all these different things that we might um lump into the category of spiritual here in the west they sort of fall by the wayside and the only thing that matters is that moment of them looking into someone's eyes and hearing the timbre of their voice in person uh you know and the touch and the feel and the hugs and the dancing and the great food in front of them I think they do that regularly enough 
to create some form of balm so that the inherent emotional turmoil that is concurrent with being a human being just does not affect them. And here we we don't have that, especially now. We're losing this element of um, tangible in-person experience to the point where, you know, people, for instance, with the longevity film, uh, our priority was like, hey, let's do screenings because we want people to see this in person um, because we want to bring people together. And we still had people saying, hey, I'm just going to sit back and watch this when it comes out online. Or is it going to be on Netflix? Is it going to be on this? You know, um, so that was, you know, you see it, this, this stark uh, contrast to how the longevity cultures live where everything they do, the priority is, Hey, let's do it with someone else. Let's do it for someone else. Let's help out. Hey, how are you doing? Um, it's, it's very, very different. And I don't think it leaves, there's just no need for them to, to sit down to meditate, to go and see a psychologist, to work out if their, you know, <laughs> their relationship with their parents is is affecting their uh, ability to go gluten free or whatever, <laughs> like we talk about here. It's, it's, it's. I think we've gone a bit overboard, but at the same time, because we're not creating this nice balm, this nice soothing environment for us to exist within. Um, naturally, we are going to be more anxious. We are going to be more curious about, hey, is there an answer to my uh, worries? You know, is it something that I'm missing? Um, perhaps it's actually just going back to basics. Perhaps it's just sitting down more often with friends and family, getting around some good organic food, some seasonal local organic food that you grow yourself. Um, maybe it's just going for a walk with friends, uh, you know, and, and maybe it's um, getting your attitude right, not taking yourself too seriously. It's all these different things that um, make up the recipe that is that is the longevity lifestyle that these cultures exhibit yeah have you read uh the um, book lost connections by johan hari no i haven't he um it's cool it's all essentially about um depression and you know how depression comes about uh versus um you know what he thinks is the main causes these these lost connections and it's like connection with nature, connection with people, connection with purpose and stuff versus, um, you know, a biochemical imbalance. And he goes into this. It's a, he travelled the world interviewing all the leading experts and and looked at all the research. And one of the one part of the book that struck me, uh, like you know, obviously being involved in this um, in the health and wellness space, you you get at least exposure to the different ways of thinking somewhere along the line. But this this particular part. Uh, was it was a little bit foreign or it was new new information for me, which was great to read. And he talks about connection with other people and the difference between Western and Eastern cultures in how they view themselves. And uh, he expresses this idea around an individualistic perspective that is pervasive through Western cultures um, versus Eastern. And he talks about studies that they've done with children where they put up a picture of someone delivering a, a, a talk, um, like imagine a photo of you speaking on stage at the Wellness Summit. And what in Eastern cultures, if they ask them to describe what to describe the scene, they talk about the crowd and the room and the environment and everything. And in Western cultures, they talk about the speaker and what they might be talking about and, um, and you know, what message they might be, in, you know, trying to impart. And um, this then they have another one where they have seven kids sitting there and, um, one of them has a sad face and the other six are happy. And in Eastern um, cultures, they'll say all um, all seven are sad versus Western will say there's one sad child. But in the Eastern cultures, it's more, you know, 
as a community, we can't be happy if one of our members is suffering. And I guess we can kind of see that a little bit happening in Australia now when we get thrust into looking at ourselves from a community aspect with these bushfires that are going on. But generally, day to day, we, we, see, we see ourselves in a detached, uh, detached from our neighbour um, a little bit, um, which I think is in alignment with what you were just saying there. Um, to the point where we don't even know our neighbours anymore. You know, yeah. and 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 it, isn't it sad that it does take a, an environmental catastrophe to bring people together? Um, this should be, you know, I think there, there's this brilliant quote, and I, I won't even, well, I'll try and sort of sum it up, but um, I think you, so there's this brilliant investor who said something like, you want to be capitalistic in your business activities. Um, you want to be a socialist in your community activities and then you know something else in your in your political activities you know there's all these different um sort of things so i think um we have lost that community connection and i think that's just happened over time you know we we originally banded and moved around in hunter-gatherer groups of you know interconnected interdependent and often interrelated uh individuals who co-parented um, children who all contributed to to every aspect, you know, who all sort of sometimes had their had their place, you know, uh, grandparents brought up kids and all these different things um, of 175 individuals. Then we were broken down eventually into family groups, uh, and then now we're we're just being broken down into individuals, individual um, identities, you know, where um, and Daniel Vitalis says this in the film. Uh, where all of the technology that we have has the word I in front of it. You know, yeah. it's not it's not called the Wii phone. So yeah. there's a big there's a big d- difference in, in mindset. And, and yeah, uh, based on what you just said, that, that book sounds like it, it does talk about that. And that's probably one of the key things that I came away with from the film. Like, yes, these people are also, <clears throat> they're growing their own food, for the majority of the time they're, they're growing their own food. It's all organic. Um, and, and they're eating an 80%, you might say plant-based diet and then some 20% room for animal protein. Um, you've got their, um, movement practices, you know, they're exercising every day and they're doing it naturally. Uh, they're not smashing themselves for 45 minutes in the morning and then sitting down for 12 hours. They're constantly moving up and down hills to uh, terraces, stairs, um, constantly moving up until very old ages. Um, <clears throat> their attitude is great. Uh, you know, they don't take themselves too seriously. Uh, and, and they're funny and they're smug and they're cheeky. And of course, um, and that's that all those things are, are, are great. Uh, but what I think is potentially, and what, what I now think is the most important thing is this community aspect. Uh, of, of who we surround ourselves with and how connected we feel, how secure we feel, um, how loved we feel and how much a part of how much we are willing to live for others. Um, I think though that aspect is, is incredibly huge um, and we can, we don't have to all of a sudden turn into martyrs and, and, and uh, go out there and become incredible forces for, for change or whatever. We can actually just start this within our own family. Um, we can actually just start this by going, hey, uh, mum, do you need a hand with this? Uh, brother, do you need a hand with this? Do you need some help? What can I do? Uh, and, and we know that from all the studies on volunteering and all these different things that when you do that, there is this huge positive cascade of, of neurochemicals that, 
uh, are released and, and which have a very tangible impact physically on the human body. Um, so I, I, I can't understate how important that is, this element of community. And it again, I don't think it necessarily means that we have to go out and become uh, the world's greatest prime minister and, and change the world. Um, but we can actually just start small. And, and it's it really comes down to the people we see every single day. For me, moving to living up on the northern beaches in Sydney, I walk down the street, I bump into people every every single time. And it's very hard to go down the street without having a conversation with someone. It's very hard to go for a surf without bumping into someone that I know. And that's all done by intention now. Um, it, it's very, very healthy for me to do that. It makes me feel very loved and secure and part of a part of something that's bigger than myself because um, there happens to be a lot of health benefits that come from that. Yeah, I, I agree. My wife, she's always at me. It's actually something I learned, again, from our mutual friend, Damo, the, watching him when I was younger because I was, I was pretty shy when I started uni. He, um, the way he would always engage with people wherever we went. So if we were at his local cafe, the way he knew their name and they knew who he was and, you know, there was an ongoing connection there between the two of them. It wasn't just the, the waiter or waitress or, you know, and he wasn't just a customer. Um, there was a relationship that formed over time. And um, that's something that I had, I started trying to practice more and more. And now it just naturally occurs. We live in a, um, a nice little community here in Melbourne and everywhere you go, there's kids playing in parks and you just find yourself talking to people and then you see them often, you build these connections and it makes it makes you feel more enriched in life, having these people to, you know, to have these ongoing um, interactions with um and you feel um that you're recognizing them and they recognize you and um you, you're part of something else that it's an in, an intangible thing but of, um and that you can't quantify it but it's very real at the same time um as well we can't uh, quantify it yet <laughs> yeah, yes exactly and look you know it's it's really interesting it, um somewhere along this conversation when we were talking about something and measuring something, it made me think about at the start when we talked about that, those studies around water uh, water and how we, we can't necessarily measure um, the impact that surfing has on the individual in terms of recharging them. And But we can measure, you know, certain elements. We know that some things have an effect on us. But um, maybe the more we try and measure things, um, the more we're trying to reduce them down to an element that is measurable, but it's the interconnectedness of multiple things that um, have the impact on the individual that can't be measured. Um, so, you know, having connections with your family, at the same time eating with your family, making stuff with your family, you know, providing something for your community, all these things together come together to create something um, that is a, an expression of your vitality, of your of your, your living um, potential that you can't measure um, as well. So it's interesting. How much do we yeah. want to measure? Because if we continue to try and measure, does it take us away from the thing that naturally um, makes us health, express that health um, to its maximum? It will. I mean, but you tell that you say this to someone whose majority left brain and they're still not going to be satisfied. Yeah, true. Um, the I amount of, you know, this film, this film has received incredible feedback. Like I'm overwhelmed at the, the response that people have been um, sharing with me. But there's still the odd person who goes, but but what about 
uh, what about this? Like, what, what about uh, are they all living or are all these communities living in places with, like, lots of sunshine? Um, you know, they're trying to find that trick. They're trying to find that element. And I think the more we dig in and the more we try and analyse and hack health and well-being and hack uh, longevity, uh, the further away we move from it. Um, because, like you said, we miss that wider picture of, of interconnectedness. Like who's to say that um, perhaps surfing is is even better for you when you do it with friends or, or, or family? You know, um, it, it's there's all these different – there's so many caveats. It's like studying diet. You know, it's very difficult to study diet because you can't keep 12 to, to – 1200 people in a room and control their behavior and control their relationships and control their thoughts um and their movement for six days to six years and look at the impact over time that there's too many variables so i think what we have to do is actually zoom out and say hey who's doing this well what are they doing on a day-to-day basis? What sort of lifestyle are they, are they living? And um, can we actually reapproximate that to get similar results? And yes, we can. It's not to say that science and studying and measuring is irrelevant because it still helps. There are, there are numerous people that um, these things have helped. But if we're going to look at this from a from a lifestyle perspective, from a long-term sustainable perspective, then I think we do need to be more zoomed out in our approach. I see these biohackers online and... Um, you know, various people who are always coming out with new products to change this number in the bloodstream. Um, who, who are we to say that whether that's actually going to have a, an impact on the wider human experience? I mean, this is this delicate orchestra of various parts that make up a whole, uh, and we're trying to impact one tiny number in the whole thing. It, it's it's pretty crazy when you actually think about it. Um, you know, it's like if you impact one number independently of all the others when they're in balance is another thing that I find fascinating like yeah there has to be a downstream consequence of impacting that one number to other numbers you know exactly and even i think naturopaths and and um you know so many people are guilty of this i'm guilty of this um but that's why i, I think now especially uh it, it doesn't come down for me to um for instance taking isolated nutrients i think taking magnesium on its own is a stupid idea i'm just put that out there um i think you know taking anything on its own vitamin c on its own is a stupid idea um there, there are so many things that i think are contradicted but by looking at the longevity cultures uh whether that means they're irrelevant or ineffective i don't know but um for me it's very much now come back to going, hey, what makes sense? What are the longevity cultures doing? How is this um, going to apply to my own setting and scenario? Uh, and is it working for me? Well, right now it's, it's very much working for me. So I think I'll, I'll keep doing that as opposed to downing some dirty tasting stevia sweetened magnesium powder. One, <laughs> <laughs> um, we did brush up on the, the eye this versus we this in terms of technology do they have any um do they have any technology in these in these places and how do they use it or how do you see them using it yeah i mean they're not um hunter gatherers in namibia you know it's it's not like going to the sun tribe for the gut movie these people are still relevant they're still part of the um, modern world in I mean Okinawa is quite a, a modern Japanese province you know it's um 
got a heavy American influence with the with the naval base in some areas. Um, it's almost like going back a couple of decades. Uh, so there's still technology, but it's not this prominent figure in everybody's lives that sort of um, takes over their identity and takes over their their, their life. Um, but I think you you look at four of the five blue zones and you say, yeah, that's quite similar. But then you go to Loma Linda, which is in the middle of Los Angeles, right? This is LA, California. Uh, this is a Western world 101. Uh, these people are better. These people have Instagram. My friend, Mike, who I interviewed in the film from the, from the church in Loma Linda. Um, I got him on Instagram. We, we chat to each other on social media. Like, you know, it, it's a real thing. Uh, but it, the difference is, is that, these people don't live their lives by it. Uh, in, ta- in not taking themselves too seriously, uh, they don't take that too seriously either. Um, it's just, again, it, I think it comes down to not the tool but the, the way that we wield the tool and who's wielding the tool. If we allow it to um, take over our lives, then, yeah, it's going to be detrimental. But I look at the, I mean, look at the bushfires that happened recently. It's very hard to argue that social media has had a negative impact on the the um the bushfire uh event you know and and there's been various other occasions where social media is incredible uh but if we use it every single day we're we're dependent on it if we if we think it um has to be a reflection of our true selves and and our identity and we think it's an extension of of self then yeah it's going to cause some problems um so yeah these people have phones these people have tvs they have radio they have websites you know some of the businesses have websites um but you know it's it's just a small part of of their life it's not this overwhelming overarching theme that they live their lives by again that their lives i think are mainly driven by other people it's people centric it's not technology centric it's not social media centric it's not even food centric it's people centric um so I think when they fill their space up with with people and and movement and gardening and good food and and all these different things, it it leaves only a little amount of space for the implementation of social media and technology. Yeah, well, I guess it seems to be like most things they do in their life, it's very much purpose driven. You know, so the way they obviously engage in it is for a specific purpose, like connecting with people across the other side of the world with yourself and um and was it mike that you said from um the yeah the... mike we're doing a screening at the church there next month amazing right so these um again it, it's not it's not the actual tool that's harmful it's it's the overlay of of you know a purpose or a philosophy or an engagement in it and it's just it's probably partly to do with how we're brought up in this individualistic world again you know if you're looking at yourself always in comparison to other people on there then it can be quite harmful versus um, looking at it as a way of connecting with other people, um, which is probably what it was meant to be for in the first place. Uh, but it's kind of the way. Yeah, well, I mean, it was maybe meant for that, maybe meant to make a little bit of money. The very first thought may have been about connecting, but then it went to, you know, um, It's definitely okay. about money now. <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, well, that's good. So uh, just some... A couple of um, questions that you don't – I mean, this is going to sound a little bit um, paradoxical to perhaps the rest of our conversation, but I can imagine someone listening to this and being a little bit vague on on uh, what actually happens in these communities. So um, I just want to kind of narrow in on a couple of focuses just because of the time of year that we're in. 
people, you know, doing resolutions and like, I need to eat like this, I need to exercise like this to try and get themselves um, back on track after perhaps a bit of indulgence over the Christmas period. Uh, do you, um, when, can you describe sort of in a simple manner the way that these people engage in those activities? Like, are they, do they have, um, you know, any kind of thought process behind I need to eat this much or these ingredients or these sort of things? Or is it just simply more, hey, this is what we're cooking, this is what we're growing, this is what we'll put together, this seems like a nice idea to make this food together? You know, is it that they're just generally moving all day because they, they live in a life they live a life that's spent a lot outdoors doing things versus sitting behind a computer screen, or do they have any kind of prescriptive type activity? Like I'm going to go for a specific walk this afternoon because it's my time to go for a walk or a jog or something like that. Well, it's all dependent on where it is. It's dependent on the the culture. So. In Okinawa, for example, the diet is uh, all the diets really are seasonal, local, organic, whole food diets, with the exception maybe of, of Loma Linda, which I'll talk about in a second. But in Okinawa, for example, there's a lot of seaweed everywhere, which happens to be a longevity superfood. It's a gut health superfood, uh, a huge amount of antioxidants and infl- um, anti-inflammatory uh, products in that. It's incredible, but it changes throughout the season. Um, in Okinawa, there's the famous Okinawan sweet potato, which happened to be out of season whilst I was there. Um, because of the population increase, because of, you know, various um, things. The Okinawan sweet potato can't sustain the population throughout the entire year now. It's more seasonal. Um, and they eat a little bit of fish as well. Uh, so, so, you know, even for breakfast, we're, we were having, I was having something that was beautiful, the umeboshi, which is like a, a pickled apricot, which is grown in the island. Um, and then, you know, I was having that with seaweed, some um sort of tamari like fermented soy stuff uh with some fish and um and a little bit of a little bit of rice as well you know for breakfast uh we have something similar for lunch we have something similar for dinner you know there's not a huge variation there they're not going oh i need to get my salad in i'm gonna have wild uh caught venison this afternoon uh it's all just very local and and independent um in ikaria for example it's that quintessential mediterranean experience so it's a lot of um salads you know your your fresh produce that we associate with the the greek islands that they've got a lot of goat on on ikaria so they have slow cooked goat but they also have goat's cheese goat butter uh all these different things they they grow have a lot of chickens there as well um so they're very very um Mediterranean. They do a lot of bread. They they share sourdough cultures between families and neighbours and all these different things. So so you do see a lot of bread uh, in Ikaria, for example. They have a lot of wine, which happens to be homegrown. It's organic, preservative free, and it's delicious. Um, but they don't get drunk. They don't drink to the point of getting drunk. Uh, in Loma Linda, this is where we start to see some exceptions come in. So Loma Linda is a vegetarian or pescatarian community. So this is where they. Um, uh, live by the Seventh-day Adventism uh, sort of scriptures in that they say that, you know, not to eat red meat particularly uh, and, and to discourage eating too much other um, meat as well. Uh, so they live that lifestyle. So inherently they, they get a lot of plant food in there. They get a lot of fibres and things like that. They eat something not too dissimilar to what we would eat here in that they have access to the local supermarket that has an organic section, but they're not necessarily growing all their own food. Um, so if, if Loma Linda didn't exist, you could possibly say that, hey, gardening is the X factor that's keeping these people alive for a long time. But because of Loma Linda, we know that that might not be the case. 
Um, so they're just doing their thing and, and, you know, doing it that way. They go to church. They take uh, from Friday afternoon to Saturday afternoon off to prepare for Sunday to spend time with God in church on Sunday. Um, and, and, you know, there's various other interventions as well, I think, um, or elements of, of their life that they that they uh, glean this incredible health and well-being from. It's not just surrounding food. Uh, but those are the general sort of food themes that we see in the different longevity cultures. The consistent thread is that it's, again, without Loma Linda, it's seasonal, local, organic, whole food. Um, but if you look at Loma Linda, there's still a lot of org organic influence there. There's a little bit of gardening, um, but again, there's that vegetarian slash pescatarian clean eating influence that comes from their scriptures. Yeah, well, obviously, it's still as close to the source as possible type eating, which is, you know, yeah. um, t not too dissimilar to the other other communities in that regard. Mm. Um, let's um, finish up with you just kind of giving us a bit of an insight into where the screenings are coming up. Um, are there any, I, I think there's one, is there, there's still one, there's a few coming up in Australia still before you head overseas? Yeah, so that's what this sort of holiday period has been about for me, um, just working out what we're doing. We've got a couple of screenings happening around Australia. We're still offering it up to people to host their own screenings through FanForce, our independent screening platform. So um, people like yourself, chiropractors and, and or health ambassadors, whatever, we've had a bunch of people list their own screenings, which is great. Um, and then we're off to, I'm off to LA to, to do a bunch of stuff over there and potentially Europe as well later this year. Um, hopefully, I'm hoping with a bunch of surfing in between. Um, but all those screenings are at kalebrock.com.au forward slash longevity film. Um, so my name is spelt like almost like the vegetables. It's K-A-L-E-B-R-O-C-K. Uh, <laughs> and, and all the infos on there are on Instagram. You'll be able to see it as well. No worries. I just have a couple of quick questions for you. I like to do with a lot of the beacons that come on, um, and you may or may not have an answer for these, but that's okay. Uh, favorite, your favorite health and well-being book that you've read? Oh, that's a tough question, isn't it? I haven't. I'm going to be completely honest. I haven't finished a health and well-being book in a very long time. Okay. Um, Maybe let's change a question. Maybe. We could say impactful or, you know, one that's maybe shifted your mindset a little bit. And it doesn't necessarily have to be specifically like a book on um, nutrition. It could be something that is, you know, um, like Carol Dweck mindset or the four-hour work week or it could be anything that you think has shifted the way okay, you think yeah. So I'm a, I'm a avid Audible subscriber yeah. um, and I'm just scrolling through my library now. Something, what did I just finish? I just finished uh, Blowing the Bloody Doors Off, Michael Caine's biography. I thought that was good. Uh, but I, on this sort of um, train of thought, I think Grit by Angela Duckworth was really good. I yep. just finished finish that one. Um, How to Change Your Mind by Michael Pollan was also good. It's, it's about psychedelics and psychedelic research. I thought that was really good. The Art of Living by Thich Nhat Hanh. Um, I'm a big fan of 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 Dick. <laughs> um, he, he's he's great. Uh, those were the biggest ones that I've read lately that I can remember having a having a good impact. So those three. Awesome. Um, favorite food? Chocolate, of course. Oh. <laughs> I love it. It's just mostly yeah. loving Earth chocolate. <laughs> yeah, 
it's here's here's a fact that the listeners might not know. I used to not like chocolate at all when I was a kid growing up. I um, got basketball cards instead of Easter eggs um, at Easter time. Wow. And then um, oh no, then I married my wife, um, and that all changed. Um, <laughs> I, I love chocolate. Um, I have dark chocolate. Um, almonds in in the cupboard at the moment which are just a favorite of mine uh but yeah anyway i try to go the 95 percent chocolates if i can or 90 but um it was something that i didn't love but that's fair enough and all right um favorite music artist uh i'm not huge on uh, music's interesting for me because i'm not like a muso i'm not like a, a huge fan but i love using music to put me in a certain mood or to enhance creativity or like, for instance, I'll listen to Rage Against the Machine before going surfing if I want to get pumped up or I listen to rap music before I want to get pumped up or whatever. Um, but I would say consistently I'm a big fan of Flume at the moment. All right. There you go. That's good. Yeah, I love these little bits because they just kind of – you never know what's going to come out from people. Uh, Humanise the freak. <laughs> um mate thank you so much for your time apologies for the little break in in uh conversation there with the with my computer randomly deciding to update itself no worries good luck with the rest of the the tour um thanks for all of the great work that you do um everyone jump on board um kyle's website um which is i just want to repeat that um so people um can go there and have a look it's uh, kalebrock.com. Uh, that's the easiest, K-A-L-E-B-R-O-C-K.com. And all of your links to all your social media and everything and the screening details, that are all there. So yeah, um, thanks very much for your time, mate. Um, I'm looking forward to hearing where you go next with this journey of uh, wellness filmmaking and um, good luck. Thanks, mate. Appreciate you having me on. Cheers, buddy. Bye. See ya. Thanks for tuning in to the Superwell podcast. For more information on any of our episodes, head over to www.superwell.com.au and you can get all the episodes there. If you want to subscribe to the podcast, you can also find links to iTunes, Stitcher and Spotify. And if you want to continue the conversation on with us, then head over to our Instagram page at LiveSuperWell and follow us there and comment under each episode. Uh, if you want to give us any feedback, you can also get in touch via email on the webpage too. So until next episode, live super well.